Well, good morning, Bel Air. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Well, you know, one of the beautiful things about God's people, about the church, again, it's not an hour on Sunday, it's not uh, a building, but it's a group of people who are identified by the reality of who Jesus is, and we live in the world. There's a prayer that, that Jesus prays in John 17, he prays that, that God would keep believers in the world, though we're not of this world, though we don't have to live by the kind of the forces of this world, but we're in the world, we're not removed from it. And so when things happen in the world, like this week, we're affected. And at the same time, I believe that one of the calls that God has on the church is to narrate the world. You know, there's a lot of people narrating what's going on right now. This, that. God's not real. God doesn't care. God was sleeping on the job. God's punishing people. I mean, there's a lot of narration out there. And when we look at God's word, which actually gives us the truth about all of existence, about who God is, who we are, why things happen in the midst of all these things, God is calling us as the church to be a voice in the world saying this is who God is and this is who we are. This week I've heard probably more frequently than any other week of the year, the question, where's God? Where's God? And as the events unfolded, not only in Vegas, but even this week, as people were personally affected or people going through uh, loss of employment or getting diagnosed with terminal diseases, the, the question comes up, where's God? Where's God? Where's God? It's a good question to ask. And we have to be willing to ask that question as well and to sit in the, the difficulty of it as we open up God's word. It was absolutely, I believe, God's design, God's wisdom, God's plan. Months ago when I was preparing for this sermon series that we're starting today called Hidden Glory, that we're going to start in a book of the Bible, the only book of the Bible, by the way, of the 66 books in the Bible, the only book of the Bible that has no mention of God. It's the only book of the Bible where there's no mention of prayer. It's the only book of the Bible where there's no mention of worship. It's the only book of the Bible where there's no mention of God's law or how to live. In fact, you could say that it's the only book of the Bible that has completely removed any sort of spirituality. It seems to be, it removes any sense of God working in the world. It's morally ambiguous, ethically ambiguous. There's tremendous evil, there's wrongdoing. There's treachery, there's the cusp of genocide, there's murder, there's impurity, there's all these things, and God's not mentioned once. And some of you might be saying, well, why would God allow a book like that to be in the Bible? Or was the writer of this book, you know, kind of asleep at the wheel, not including those things? What I love about the book of Esther you knew it, right, didn't you? You do, you knew. What I love about the book of Esther is it reminds us that God is just as powerful, just as good, just at work, even when we don't notice him. In fact, there is a glory that is ascribed to God. Glory is the word kabod. It's a Hebrew word. Let me hear you say kabod. What a great word, K-A-B-O-D, kabod. It literally means God's heaviness, God's weightiness, God's significance. 
If I was to flick a, a toothpick at you, no matter how thin or slight you might think you are, that toothpick, because it's lighter than you, will not move you. It's weightless compared to you. But if I was to pick up this, oh my gosh, that was weird. <laughs> there was a Steinway right here. <laughs> there was a, where'd the Steinway go? Okay. Oh my gosh, I almost fell over. See the Steinway back there? If you're watching online, I don't know if the camera can even get that. There's a Steinway piano back in the corner. No matter how strong uh, you think you are, if I can't pick it up, uh, maybe if a few of us picked it up or if we put it on a dolly system and kind of cranked it up and swung it from the rafters and it hits you, you'd be moved, right? <laughs> uh, things that are heavier than you move you. Well, there's been a lot of weighty things this week, heavy things this week. You go through life and there's heavy things that affect you, that paralyze you, that, that cause you to lose hope, that cause you to, to doubt, that cause you to have fear. Isn't it interesting that the word glory means heaviness, weightiness? The Bible says that there's no one as glorious as God. There is no one as weighty, as significant, as heavy as God. God has the ability to speak the cosmos into existence has the ability to do whatever God so pleases. And sometimes God's glory is very kind of visibly seen. Think of the ten plagues, the part of the Red Sea, manna from heaven. Uh, Moses, in God's presence, literally walking off Mount Sinai, radiating with this radiant glory of God. And yet sometimes God's glory is hidden. It's unseen. You can't notice it. You can't describe it. And what I love about the book of Esther is it reminds us that God is just as powerful, just as involved, just as significantly moving history, even when it seems like he's not there. So in a moment, I want to give us a whole kind of overview of the book of Esther, how it ties into the events of this week and how we can actually go into this week in a very different way. But let me just read and just listen. Don't turn there, but let me just read to you the last chapter of Esther 10. You know, people often say how a movie ends or how a television show ends or how a, a book ends or how a musical ends actually defines everything that happens before it. It could be a tragedy, it could be a fairy tale, it could be a comedy based upon that last scene. Though no mention of God, no mention of prayer, listen to how Esther ends. King Xerxes laid tribute on the land and on the islands of the sea. All the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in all the records of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was next in rank to King Xerxes, and he was powerful among the Jews and popular with his kindred, for he sought the good of his people and interceded for the welfare of all his descendants." This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. Kind of nice ending. Oh, cool. Mordecai. Oh, I don't know about him, but he sounds great. King Xerxes. Wait, King Xerxes? I saw the movie 300. King Xerxes? Yes, that King Xerxes. You seen that movie 300? Yeah, same guy. Fifth century B.C. Babylonian Empire has absolutely uh, been decimated. Nebuchadnezzar, after destroying everything, now there's a new force New sheriff in town. Uh, the Persian Empire has taken over King Xerxes I. 
is now the most powerful being in the world, the most vicious kingdom, with, with tremendous power, with tremendous might. And now within this, this land, there's the threat that the Jewish people would finally be annihilated. And what's so interesting, let me, let me just walk through kind of the whole story of the book of Esther. And you'll see quickly that, that some of the events here so relate to the world today. And that's why I'm so thankful that these things are found in the Bible because this is the world that we live in. When you read the Bible, it's not some utopian picture that is removed from suffering and, and hate and violence. No, it's, it's a very raw and real description of the world that we're in as a result of sin, as a result of us choosing our way rather than God's own way, and yet God actively being involved even though we can't see. So Esther chapter 1, we find King Xerxes has the most beautiful queen in the kingdom, Queen Vashti. And so he kind of gets into this kind of drunken rage, drunken stupor, in the midst of a party, and he calls for her. He wants to show her off. And what does she do? She stands him up. She says, no. And some of you who are all about like standing up for the king, for any of you who are saying, women, stand up for yourselves, you're like, yes, yes, I love this part of the Bible. What does King Xerxes do? He says, you're banished. I'm divorcing you. I'm I'm, I'm kicking you out. And what happens? He says, well, I need a queen. So what does the most powerful person in the world do? He says, well, let's have a job fair. (laughs) And he literally has his servants line up, some believe upwards of a thousand women, to grow his harem, to go through every single night an interview process. And guess who kind of steps up and says, I'll be part of the interview process? A young woman named Esther, a Jewish woman. And this is where people who are like, no, 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 you've got to be pure. You've got to follow God's law. Don't, don't, don't put yourself out there in that way. That, that, that's awful. You're saying, I don't like this part of the Bible. In fact, there's something for everyone to not like in Esther. And so what does King Xerxes do? After this long interview process, he doesn't just say, Esther, you can be part of my concubines, you can be part of my harem. He doesn't say, I'll have you as one of my many wives. He says, I want you. I want you to be the queen. But she had to hide her Jewish heritage. And some of you are like, why did she lie? She should be forthright. I mean, I've heard some Brene Brown. You've got to put yourself out there. Be honest. You've got to be courageous. You've got to be vulnerable. Come on. I don't like this part of Esther. And as it goes on, there's more and more events. In fact, the older cousin of Esther, this guy named Mordecai, also Jewish, overhears an an assassination plot on the king. And he sends word to Esther, who is now part of this kind of, you know, royal, you know, place of influence and, and passes the word on and it prevents the assassination. Some of you are like, no, we should pray for assassinations of people in high places. I don't like this part of the Bible. Was that an uncomfortable moment? I've seen some of your Facebook posts. You see, we want to, we think we can use our own strength, our own might to solve the problems of this world. And sometimes we make more of a mess of ourselves. 
And if you're reading this and you might be saying, what, there was an opportunity for the king, this vicious king, to be killed. Why'd she save him? Well, she did. Just simply pass the word along. And then Mordecai, he's got to, you know, be so faithful to God, though it doesn't say that anywhere in the book of Esther. He doesn't bow down out of reverence for this guy named Haman. And because he doesn't do that, Haman now just can't stand Mordecai, and so he wants to have him killed and the entire nation of Israel killed. Genocide, mass murder, wants to completely wipe him out. So now this thing begins to unfold. Queen Esther, in the midst of all of that, has to kind of figure out, you know, what do I do? What do I do? Open those Bibles up. Take a look at this moment that happens in Esther chapter 4. If you, there you go. You were waiting for me, weren't you, on page 388 in your Red Pew Bible? And as you get to page 388, you're getting quick on the draw again, brother. And I want us to just hear, I'm going to read this. Uh, this is Esther chapter 4. Uh, I'll read verse 10 down to 17. And I'll pause and interject in some, some moments. Verse 10, then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Let's pause there. She's saying, you, you do realize, Mordecai, that if I go in unannounced, uninvited, that the king has a prerogative, and everybody knows this, the king can put me to death. But then it goes on. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone. That's like a scene out of a film. May that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. Let's pause there. So the queen is saying, on one hand, if I come in unannounced, uninvited, I might be killed. And even more than that, I haven't been invited in for 30 days. I'm kind of on the fritz right now. The king is wanting other wives to come in. So Queen Esther doesn't even know her place at that point in the heart and in the mind of the king. On one hand, yes, she's queen, but she doesn't even know what's going to happen if I go in there. It's been 30 days since I've been in, verse 12. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Let's pause there for a moment. No mention of God. But Mordecai says, if you stay silent, there's going to be rescue and deliverance that's going to pop up from somewhere else. But you'll be found out. If you stay silent in the position that you're in, ultimately, good's going to be found somewhere else. But in the long run, it's not going to be good for you. If you stay silent in your workplaces, 
If you stay silent as a citizen, if you stay silent in your family, if you stay silent among your friends, rescue and hope and answer is going to pop up somewhere else, but in the long run, it's not going to be, not going to be good for you. It goes on. Verse 14. I'll read it again. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Though no mention of God, no mention of prayer, no mention of worship, there is the power of a question. That for many of you, this is the one verse you know from Esther, Esther 4.14. Who knows? Perhaps for such a time as this, you have been brought. Because in the Hebrew language, the, the verb form, the hifil verb form is a passive tense. And Mordecai is saying that you've been brought to this position. And who knows, maybe you've been brought to this point, brought to this position, brought to this moment, brought to this circumstance for such a time as this. Who knows? And on one hand, he's saying, Esther, you haven't orchestrated to get there, though, yes, you did step forward, and you went through that interview process. But who knows, maybe you've been brought for such a time as this to be used in a way that you can't even imagine. Bel Air. Who knows? That you've been brought to the job that you're in, to that unemployment status that you're in, to that job promotion, to that job demotion, to this new marital status, whether good or bad, to this new diagnosis, to this new reality of your bank account. You've been brought to this moment. Who knows? Who knows if you've been brought to this moment for such a time as this that you can't even fathom how God can use it behind the scenes. Because God is a God that moves. God is a shaker of history. God is glorious and he wants to move things and he's going to do it through you or with you or with somebody else. But who knows how he's going to use this thing? It goes on. Verse 15. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. The power of a question the simple power of a question. Who knows that you haven't been brought to this moment for such a time as this? Now, this moment was an awful moment. It was a moment that came through a drunken king who kicked out a queen. It came through a long interview process where a pure Jewish woman said, sign me up. It came through deceit, it came through lies, it came through the possibility of genocide, it came through all these things, all these things that if you look at on the surface, you would say, where's God in the midst of all of this? I mean, I wouldn't choose it this way. I wouldn't design it that way. It seems like, God, you are on vacation. And what happens? She lets that question sit with her for three days. She has no food, no drink. She lets that question sit with her for three days, and she reflects, and she reflects, and she reflects. And then even as she's reflecting, other things begin to happen, other kind of coincidental circumstances. 
You see, remember that assassination plot that Mordecai overheard and got word back to the king? The night before, Haman, who built this thing that was going to kill Mordecai, the night before that, the king, he can't sleep. I mean, that seems weird. How could God use insomnia? Well, he does. He starts to go through. He starts to look through the records of history. And as he's going through, he happens to notice this guy named Mordecai that saved his life by thwarting an assassination attempt, goes to his servants and says, hey, by the way, uh, what have we done for Mordecai? We haven't done anything for Mordecai? Okay, well, tomorrow let's honor him. Haman shows up the next day. He's ready to kill this guy, Mordecai. He goes in front of the king, and there's this amazing moment where the king goes and he says, okay, I'm going to bless somebody. I'm going to cover them with an amazing robe, and I'm going to put, you know, I'm just going to honor them. I'm going to give them, you know, power and all this stuff. And Haman is thinking, it's going to be me. It's going to be me. And the king says, bless Mordecai. All of a sudden, through the circumstances of that, now Mordecai is honored. Now the queen throws this banquet, and all these circumstances finally reveals the fact that she's Jewish and reveals the fact that Haman was about to kill all the Jews, the whole nation of Israel. And the king, what does he do? He puts Haman to death. Now she has the courage. She goes before the king, and she shares would you save them? Would you rescue them? And there's this great dramatic rescue, and in the end, all turns out all right. And the Jewish nation, through its descendants, Jesus is born. The reason why we're here today is because of a drunken king. The reason why we're here today is because a king had insomnia. The reason why we're here today is because a woman allowed herself to be part of that awful experience. You see, God doesn't orchestrate these things like a puppet master and say, I, you know, I like these things. I like genocide. I, I like hate. I like, you know, all these things. But God says, I am more powerful than you could ever imagine. And I have the long view, and I can use anything. In fact, in God's view, in God's world, in God's unfolding story, this phrase doesn't exist. Well, God can't use that. It doesn't exist. Case in point. Two Fridays ago, uh, my friend and his wife uh, flew out of state and went to a concert. Loved it, amazing concert. Husband and wife, two friends, had a great night. Woke up the next day, you know, at the hotel, going to the pool. And uh, she's getting out of the pool, and she slips. Don't you hate that? You're on vacation, you slip, you fall on the side of the pool. Ah, oh, pain. How many of you have ever been hurt on vacation like me, like her? It's the worst, right? Awful. You're like, oh, well, God, why did this happen? So she's going through the day. She's got this pain, you know, and she's with her husband and her friends, and she just feels like, God, why, 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 why? Goes to the concert, second night, Saturday night, you know, enjoys the concert, but still in a lot of pain. Her husband has to fly back for work. Another friend flies into town. So now it's her and her three girlfriends are by the pool on Sunday, and the pain is just growing and just awful. God, God, why would you allow this thing to happen? I'm thinking she's saying. She goes to the concert Sunday night. And as the night goes on, she keeps moving closer and closer among the crowd because her favorite act is about to, to play, Jason Aldean. And she gets within 30 feet of the stage. And the bass, and, you know, the, the drums and the mix coming out of the speakers is so intense, so overwhelming, it doesn't hurt her ears, it's shaking her body. 
hurting her side, so much so that she begins to cry. Now she's embarrassed. Now she's frustrated. God, why would you allow this thing to happen to me? And so she finally, she's got uh, 30 minutes before Jason Aldean's going to come out, and she says, I got to go back to the hotel. I'm sorry. So she's about to leave, and she says to her friends, stay. I want you to stay. One of the friends had just flown in. I want you to stay. And her friends, what do they do? They chose the friendship over the concert. They said, no, 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 we want to be with you. We, we, we want to be with you. And she's like, no. And there's this, you know, kind of, you can imagine. No, you stay and enjoy the concert. So what do they do? Three friends go with a friend in pain, and they leave. 30 minutes later, a lot of what-ifs begin to pop up in their mind. As they hear, as they see, as they look out the window, ten awful minutes of hate, hundreds hurt, dozens killed. Rona Reitmeyer wrote on her Facebook page on Tuesday night, and she says, I don't think I've ever thanked God for more pain in my life. And even in the midst of that, she, she was referencing God's glory. And I wonder, which by the way, she broke her rib. Later on she found out. That God used that painful thing to possibly save her life. That God used that painful, embarrassing thing to possibly save her friend's life. But the point isn't her life. That's not the point I'm trying to get to, because you might quickly, as I do, well, what about all the other lives that were lost? You see, ultimately, God says, I alone can heal, can save, can rescue. I alone am to be glorified. And all I know is that we see this, this little sliver and yes, right now, in that little sliver, yes, she's alive, but I have no idea how God's going to use that for God's glory in her life. I have no idea how God's going to use that experience in her friend's life. I have no idea who now widows, orphans, parents who are going through tremendous grief, shaking their fist, understandably at God, you have no idea how God might use that because perhaps, who knows? that God has allowed all these things to come together for such a time as this. I don't know if I'd be a pastor had my younger brother not died of an accidental drug overdose. I don't know if I would be the person I am today had I not gone through many, many years with my wife of infertility. I've had some conversations with some people here today who have said that they are here in this moment thriving because of the most awful experience that they ever went through in their entire life that was a domino effect that God used all of it. And they can look back on that, you know, with a different perspective than when they were in it. But you've got to know that God's glory is glorious and it's heavy and it's moving and it's weighty. And sometimes God works in very hidden ways. But even beyond that, I want you to open up John 17 as we end right here. God's glory isn't something that just moves us that is separate from us, that just impacts us. You see, God's glory is a little bit even more personal than that. John 17, I want to read verse 20 through 26. 879. 879. 879. John 17, verse 20. Jesus is praying. 
Jesus praying, verse 20. He says, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. He's praying for all believers throughout the world. Throughout time, I'm praying for all believers that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, Jesus says, and I am in you, may they, all Christians, all believers, also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me. Side note. Look up Hebrews chapter 1 later on. It says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. So that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And this is where we're going for the next three weeks. That not only is God on the move, that not only is God alone, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who is able to, to do things according to God's plans and His purposes, and has the ultimate view to work all things together for good, but in addition to that, even when it's hidden, He does something else. He says, my glory... I'm going to hide it in you. I'm going to hide it in you. Have you. I mean, have you ever thought about this truth that literally that God says, I'm going to hide my glory in you and in you. I'm going to hide, I'm going to tuck it away. My glory, I'm going to hide it in you. In all of you who put your faith and trust in Jesus, God says, through Jesus, I'm going to hide my glory in you. The weight to move mountains, to break chains, to bring hope, I'm going to hide it in you. The most powerful power in all the cosmos, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to hide it in you. It's tucked away. Now let it shine. Don't shrink back. Don't be silent. Who knows? Maybe for such a time as this, it's time for that glory to come out. Let's pray. Loving God, we, we've got no glory in and of ourselves other than that which you give us. And we only receive it when you are our king. So God, there's many things that sit on the throne of our hearts May in this moment we choose the rightful heir of that throne. May we choose you, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time. Jesus, be the king of our heart as we simply respond in worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.